This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Good morning. Now I can't hear y'all. Good morning. Good morning. I said I can't hear y'all. Good morning. Good morning. Good. We're live. It's the last day of the conference. I know it's been a less sleepy uh, week. We haven't gotten a lot of sleep. We've been out every night, but um, you know, excited uh, to be here today and to actually talk to you all about Africa and podcasting and what's going on. And so we have four experts who are all contributing to content in the African space. And so without further ado, I would like for everyone to take 60 seconds, um, introduce yourself and what your organization is doing, and then we'll fall into the questions that I have for our panel. And then we'll be followed by a question and answer from you all and so that you can follow up and get the answers to the questions that you have and that you've been wanting to find out about Africa. Thank you. Anthony, please start us off. Yeah, my name is Anthony Frazier. I am the CEO and founder of ABF Creative. We are a multicultural podcast company and production company and, and network. <laughs> uh, and so we produce a lot of kids and family um, podcasts uh, for people of color. And I'm excited to be here, man. Thank you. Thank you. Hi everyone, my name is Molly Jensen. I'm the CEO of Afropods. We are a pan-African podcast hosting platform based in Nairobi, Kenya. Hi everyone, my name is Dan Aseda. I'm the founder and CEO of Semabox, which is a podcast studio based in Nairobi. We incubate a lot of podcasts. Right now we are happy to have shipped episode 700 from Nairobi and it's a wonderful time to be here. Great, love this. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Kim Fox. I teach at the American University in Cairo. I also wear several other hats. I am the founder and organizer of PodFest Cairo, Egypt and Africa's first podcast festival. I am also the ed executive producer of the Eki Amasar podcast, Tell Your Story Egypt. I am the vice president for academic affairs for the Broadcast Education Association. And finally, I am the co-president of AIR, the Association for Independence and Radio. And I'm very excited to be here with my colleagues. Thank you all for being here. And I guess I'll do an intro since I skipped myself. I'm Kevin White Brown. I'm a chief content officer and head of strategy at Afropods. So jumping right in, my first question is for you, Molly. Um, understanding that radio is king in Africa and the highest used medium of media consumption. Afropods recently conducted a study on radio and podcast consumption in Kenya where we found that most podcasts in the country are listened to in English, followed by Kiswahili. We have also found that radio listeners are also podcast listeners and that there is a strong desire to listen to radio on demand. Given these facts, what is Afropods doing in order to meet the demands and the needs of uh, listeners and future creators on the continent? That's a loaded question, but it's a good one, so thank you. Um, what's first and foremost most important to understand about the continent is that we are a continent of orated history. We're comfortable getting information from our ears, and radio is the most prevalent medium on the continent. That being said, as the digitization of internet, media, technology, and podcasts becomes more popular, it's important to meet people where they are. So podcasting being audio on demand and radio, being able to translate to audio on demand, what we're currently testing is a broadcast to podcast technology. Um, exciting information. We've now been working with two radio stations out of Nigeria. We're having conversations in Ghana. We have a radio station signed in Uganda, Kenya, and we're talking in South Africa. So ultimately, we're looking to 
get the behavior of audio on demand as the emerging ecosystem of podcasting, um, as it's still an early adopting behavior, becomes more popular. Thank you. Thank you. So Dan, according to Africa Podfest's data, the majority of female daily listeners uh, listen between, uh, between the ages of 19 to 35. It happens between 6 p.m. and midnight, meaning there is a drop off during the peak sunlight hours of the day. We've seen female listenership dominate in South Africa, Kenya, and Nigeria. In addition to running the largest podcast production company in Africa overall, and definitely being a staple and a pioneer in Kenya, um, you have Dada Incubator. And so can you tell us a bit about Dada Incubator and what it is and how it is that you are inspiring and encouraging women specifically to uh, have a voice in media and also um, essentially let their light shine? Yeah, um, and thanks for great compliments, actually. So the Dada Podcast Incubator is the world's first incubator, podcast incubator for women and non-binary people. And we launched this two years ago. What we're trying to do is to discover, um, empower, and also bring really clever, really exciting digital storytelling projects to a world audience. Um, and this is our second year. We just expanded to Uganda and South Africa, and we're looking forward to taking in the next cohort, maybe in the September timeframe. One of the things that was driving us to do the Data Podcast Incubator was we learned pretty early in our uh, existence as a studio that the early adopters were female. They were the first ones who came. They were the first ones to try out new technology, tell new stories. They were also the ones with multiple different vulnerabilities that needed to be highlighted, needed to be stories that needed to be told. Um, and as soon as that became clear to us at Sandbox, we were mobilizing as much as we could to find ways to discover more voices um, and make sure that those are on the right platform. Remember, even though women, as Thomas Sankara you know, said, hold up half of the sky, um, their voices don't represent half of the, what you hear on radio or what you hear on the internet. Um, and there's another study that was done by a media practitioner in Kenya that found out that women's voices, women's stories, were actually less than 20% of what was broadcasted. And so the podcasting space is a great opportunity for us um, to begin to change that and give more representation to women's storytellers because stories are valid, they're fantastic, and they need to be out there. Agreed. Stories are valid and fantastic and they need to be out there. I love that. Anthony, you are doing an amazing job with ABF Creative, I must say. And you guys are creating authentic uh, content that empowers the black community, both in the US and throughout the diaspora. Um, can you tell us some of the content you're currently producing uh, for Africa? And essentially, for those of us who are here who are looking to do something similar, how did this opportunity come about? Because I know you got ties to different countries on the continent. Yeah, yeah. So. Um Actually, I saw one of these studies, you know, that you talked about. Um, so I'm probably the only person on the stage that's not in the continent. And so, um, so I actually came upon one of these studies, and I just kind of realized how much of an opportunity Africa was for podcasting. When I realized how important radio was to the country, to the to the to the continent, and especially in Tanzania you know, the radio plays such a huge role. And so there was uh, a company based in Tanzania called Ubongo, uh, and they have a YouTube channel. Um, Ubongo was actually uh, a Tanzanian-based nonprofit that makes children's content. 
uh, and they they average about 10 million viewers a month on YouTube. And so when I when I discovered them, I said, well, I got to partner with them. I got to find a way to convert what they're doing on YouTube and see if I can bring that to the podcast world. I think this, there's a great opportunity. I think a lot of people in Africa will love it, but then more importantly, I think a lot of people in the United States will love it. And so that's how I got involved. I just did a cold email, actually. Mm. And then next thing you know, I was on a team with like, I was on a Zoom call with 10 people and they they was vetting me like who are you where are you from what, what's your what's your intentions and all these different things but ultimately we left that conversation like hey let's collaborate we want to be in the u.s and we want you guys to be over here and so that's how that relationship happened and for creators that's looking to do the same thing my advice is to send a cold email <laughs> <laughs> love it i mean you, you what is it what you say molly all the time you shooters gonna shoot Oh, shoot or shoot. Exactly. And also, Anthony, the research you're talking about is from Africa Podfest. They do tons of research all over the continent. So shout out to them. They're doing really important work. Definitely. Joe and Mel. So Kim, coming to you all the way up in Cairo. You're teaching podcasting there at, uh, at the university. Um, and then you also, like you said, you started Podfest Cairo. Can you give us a couple tangible steps that allowed you to be able to create such a powerful and influential movement and community because we, you've been making waves and somebody is uh, what, 40 over 40 this year? Oh, you got that honor? So yeah, talk to us about how you've been able to, uh, to manifest and make these things a reality. Yeah, I think the young people say the OG in the game. <laughs> like, yeah, I've been around for a long time. And I've been in Cairo since 2009. So I think that is also like a precursor to what I've been doing. Uh, some of my colleagues might be surprised to hear me say this, but my university enables me to do this. Like they do, there's a lot of money. And so I think, you know, even as folks who don't have a university affiliation, trying to get that university affiliation. And when I say a lot of money, like there are pots for, for almost everything. I have, there's a pot of money to travel to academic conferences, like just for travel. There's another pot of money to plan a conference. So that's a separate pot of money where you can give someone an honorarium. Of course, the space for the conference is gonna be free because it's gonna be on campus. So that's uh, gonna bring down some of those financial commitments. And there is another pot of money to do research. So, and the research money is, is even more because they want that kind of recognition. Uh, so that has really enabled me. The second thing that's enabled me, again, since I've been in Cairo for so long, are my former students. They are, it's a private liberal arts university. I mean, I, I won't, tell you what their parents do, but they're very affluent. Mm -hmm. And so if they do, you know, they have a good relationship, they had a good experience with the class, and they want to continue to do this. So if I say I'm doing Podfest, they're like, what can we do to help you? What do you need? Mm -hmm. And it's not always money, it could be time, it could be resources, uh, just their ability to help amplify the event. So I think that they're, those are my key resources, not three, but two, in terms of taking advantage of those spaces. So my advice to you all would be to, again, find someone that you can collaborate with, especially on the content continent. There are so many universities that you can tap into to, to help you know, bring your resources and get some resources from them, from them as well. And I didn't even mention the academic research. That's another underreported area. I mean, I, have, I think I have two research articles out there now uh, that focus specifically on, on Africa. But the point is, there's not a lot on Africa in podcasting. And it's, it's needed because when we talk about referencing others, here's a chance to bring people in. Oh, thank you for that answer. 
Um, and you know, you, you say resources probably about five times in there. And so when we talk about resources, one of the important things that's happening in Africa is that we want, we all want to see African creators take up as much space as possible, but also get paid for their genius. That's a real thing. And Dan, you've actually solved for this on a micro level, and it's something that we're looking to solve for on a, on a macro level. So can you talk to us and tell us, I mean, after you've done 700 episodes with 200 different podcast creators, um, how were you able to get your creators paid? Because you were written up in a couple of uh, newspapers uh, recently. Uh, but how were you able to get your creators paid? And then most of all, most importantly, which is a problem across the continent, is how were you able to pay out your creators? Yeah, um, I mean, and I think some of the background is I was always in content making since I was 16 or 17. And so I brought a lot of the experience uh, as a musician um, and working in the music industry, I brought a lot of that experience into Semabox. Um, and so from the beginning, it was very clear for us that we were always trying to get people on the track to revenue. So that was always um, a goal for us at Semabox. And so when we started incubating the podcasts, so how we work is the two ways. You can walk in, we have a plug and play facility, you can walk in, pay us a fee, record your podcast and walk away. Or if we think you have a good idea, we think that you have great potential, then we can kind of be an early investor in your podcast. And so we bring our money, expertise, we get in with you, we do a revenue share agreement, and we begin to build this product and try and bring it to market, bring it to revenue. So that was the model that we used. It was a revenue um, share agreement with the creators. Um, and then now that we were more invested in the, in the work, it gave us an opportunity to bring in everything that we could pull in, experience, knowledge, um, technology, networks, everything. And this allowed us to create a bigger creator network. With a bigger base, we could approach more companies because we could then say, hey, we don't have one podcast, we have 70. And so we can talk to you about 70 podcasts and we can talk to you about getting your brand in all these spaces that these podcasters are reaching and we can now combine the resources. And the second thing we can do for the brands and the corporates is because they don't want to do 70 separate agreements. They can just do one with us. And in that way, we are underwriting um, the work that the creators will do and we're giving the brands confidence because the brand wants to be sure that the work will be done. And they're not sure if they're managing 70 different people that will work. But if they're just managing one contract, easier on them. And so that's how we've been able to build it slowly and get our revenues for our creators. Um, out of the 70 podcasts we launched, it's a little more now, but um, around 90. 19 of those are in revenue, so it's around 20%. And those revenues have gone over uh, $50,000, so they're doing they're earning some money. We have, a, we have some big podcasts and then we have some small podcasts in terms of revenue and there's no real formula. It just depends, sometimes it's luck. But one of the things that we have been excited to explore is the brand partnerships, that's been the major path. And with that, it's a straight split on the top, so it's a gross split and so we are not struggling to pay out. Thank you. Thank you for enlightening us, enlightening us with that. And one of the things that I love that um, Simabox has been able to do in addition to that is that you've now um, started to include other countries in your incubator with your call for submissions. And so you guys were now in three countries this year, whereas last year was only one country. And so you're expanding the, and empowering even more women to have a voice and to contribute um, to the space. So I kind of want to switch modes a little bit. I think one of the most beautiful things about Africa as a whole is that it has diversity, one to 2,000 languages, with 75 that over 1 million people speak. 
according to a Harvard African uh, language uh, program. But in that, you know, in Kenya, we've figured out, we've, Afropods did some research, and we figured out that 96% of people um, of radio consumption is in English, followed by 30% of others who listen to both English and Kiswahili. Um, and then similar statistics follow for podcasting. My question is, how do we get creators uh, we work with uh, to get the listeners and creators to amplify their voices in their native vernacular? Because I think that that's really important. Kim or Molly, I'm sorry, anybody. Is, who is that that's for? That's for everybody. <laughs> that's for everybody. How? So you just repeat the last piece of that question. How do we get more creators to speak and podcast in their native vernacular? Because here's, here's the reason and why this question is important to me, is that as the world becomes more westernized, then people start speaking common tongues, right? And on the continent of Africa, uh, you primarily hear French and English in different places as far as non-native languages. And so podcasting to me is a low-cost way for us to be able to preserve history, um, culture, traditions, and language. And so if other languages will die if we do not preserve them or if people are not using them. And so for future Africans, no matter where they are throughout the diaspora, in order for them to have an authentic history, they need to hear their, their language and culture and traditions from themselves. So how do we encourage that to these future creators? Because 60% of the continent is under 25, right? And so how do we get these young people and other podcasters in order to start using their native vernacular as a primary? I'll make it brief um, because I teach and I teach in English and uh, that's the primary language of our university, but my students are obviously uh, native Arabic speakers. And so I say to them, like, I'm going to share my knowledge with you. I want you to soak it up and then I want you to go out and teach other people in Arabic. Like that is the model that we use for the Ekiya Master podcast for what we do at PodFest Cairo. We are intentionally going out into community environments, uh, state department activities, and I'm making sure that when opportunities come for me, I am sharing it with my, my team who are native Arabic speakers, and that's one way to get the, the message out and to share the knowledge in, in particular. Okay. Thank you. Did Can I add something to that? Um, Kim, as an educator, clearly has firsthand experience with these students. But I think it's also important to note that we are very much in our infancy in podcasting on the continent. And because of that, we're looking at podcasting through a Western lens, meaning that most of the podcasters that are very successful are podcasting in English or in a dialect like Sheng, which is almost the equivalent of like what Spanglish would be, Spanish and English, Kiswahili English. So I think that as podcasting becomes more of a behavior that people are comfortable with, we are going to see podcasts in vernacular languages and mother tongue. I think that we are just early to it, so to discount that it's not there yet is a disservice because I know I've spoken to Dan previously, there are podcasts in Somali, and just because we are not part of that insular Somali community doesn't mean that those stories aren't being told, doesn't mean that those podcasts don't exist. We have stories in Amharic, in Zulu, in Yoruba, in Kenya Rwandan, in Swahili, and I think what's be in Wolof, I could keep going, but the point is Memorializing culture and language is a huge piece of this. However, as the industry grows and as it morphs into what it's going to be on the continent, I think we have to be prepared that it may look different in the West than it does in Africa. And fundamentally, because it's a continent of story storytellers, I believe Africa is going to be the largest podcasting market in the world. I just don't think it's going to look the way it does in the West. So thank you. And thanks, Kim. Uh, Anthony, you are an award-winning multi 
cultural network. How have you navigated the reception of your work and what can we on the continent learn from you to produce similar results? Well, I wanna, I wanna piggyback first off, uh, you know, cause there, there's a lot of uh, kind of like studies coming out now and then talking about, oh, you should do a Spanish version of your podcast, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, and the reason why they kind of discount a lot of creators to do things in other languages that's because they were, oh, nobody who's, no, no Spanish-speaking, you know, audiences like cooking, you know, so they won't make a, it, the data doesn't point to a cooking podcast being an ideal podcast for a Spanish-speaking audience. But that's because there's no Spanish-speaking cooking podcast. It has to exist. Exactly. So, yeah, I just think that, you know, we'll, you know, in the native tongue, uh, definitely in the continent, all these, it just doesn't exist yet. Like, it, it, it does, but I'm just saying, like, the more people get into it, then the more data we'll have to support that, hey, there's an industry that could be built here, and I think we'll naturally, organically start to see that over time. As far as, uh, you know, from my perspective, what can, you know, I just think just coming up with, you know, I'm very resourceful. I started with nothing um, as far as like the, the, the you know, the company is concerned. And so uh, I say just find out a system, you know, to be consistent. Like to me, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, I would talk to any creator and saying, you know, not just on the continent in general. Uh, and if you want to attract U.S. listeners, then you know, be where you where they found. But I still, you know, I stand by my, what Molly said is like, hey, there's a lot of opportunity in the continent. Like, figure out ways to collaborate and really just dominate, you know, in where you're at because the opportunity is much larger there than it is here. To be honest with you, and that's what we noticed by mistake when we made it. We we started a podcast called African Folk Tales, and most of the the listeners are in the U.S. and Africa. Uh, and so th these listeners that are in the U.S., they come from all backgrounds. You know, they're not just black and brown people. Like, these are just, these are little white kids in Kansas City somewhere listening to these folktales and then wanting to learn more and then exploring more. Now doing their research, Googling, figuring things out. Uh, one parent even said, hey, they planned a whole trip to go to Africa based off of one of the stories that we you know, that came from Ghana, you know, and so that's, you know, to me, that that's that cross-culture we're looking for to get people more interested in the continent, you know, uh, but as far as, like, creators in the, in the continent, I, my, my advice would just continue to dominate here. Uh, there's so, it, well, I'm saying here, like, we in Africa, but continue to we dominate are. in Africa because there's so much opportunity. It's going to be rough in the beginning, but what, what isn't rough in the beginning, you know, and so, uh, it's eventually going to turn on, and I think just being consistent, making you know connections, getting with people like Afropods, getting with other creators, and really just starting to to grow your base right there where you are. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. And I, I want to point out too is that you know in my statement earlier, it's really about just making sure that we're conscious that we're doing the podcast in the vernacular, and that we're pushing that as well because another narrative can come over. Right. And I heard you say a couple of things, uh, you know, when you talked about data. Right. Like you know that somebody's in Kansas. Right. That they're listening to the pie and that they may or may not be black. But you also say consistency. 
And that makes a huge difference in potting just overall. And so with that, talking about data, talking about consistency, Molly, I think you're the best person to answer this question, is what makes Afropods different than other platforms um, in terms of what it does and how it goes about essentially executing for the uh, podcast creators? Sure. Um, so I think what's important to note is that there are no podcasting, there are no hosting platforms globally that pay African creators. So fundamentally, we want to see African creators take up as much space as possible while getting paid for their content. So first and foremost, we're working to solve that problem. Um, right now, I mean, hosting gives you the ability to have data, and that data allows you to monetize it. When you go into the platform as a creator, the first thing you're seeing is the map of Africa. So the whole platform is optimized for African creators. Um, there is something that we need called a global baseline standard, which means that you need to be able to compete in any market. And with RSS, you want to make sure that your content is available everywhere as a distribution platform. But ultimately, we are solving the problems that African creators bring to us. So we are very accessible if they say that they want to know what time people are listening to their podcast, what day they're listening to their podcast. If there's a stat that they need that may not be available on their current home podcast a platform, we take that in consideration and look to build it out. So I'd say like, what makes us very different is that we're agile, we're lean, and we're focused on uh, this specific subset and group of people. And I kind of want to piggyback on that, you know, shameless plug. But we, we do something every single month called Afropods Meets. And so we're meeting with the different podcast creators and communities in different countries. And in those meetings, we talk about podcasting. We definitely explore what, is the, what are the challenges with the different podcasters in these places. And then we take feedback on the platform and we literally go and we implement it into the platform. So one of the biggest focuses for us as Afropods is that we're making sure that we're building a product with the African creator in mind, but also with the African creator's input. And so we are 200%, 2 million percent um, on the ground doing the work in order to find out and help to grow the ecosystem overall. And so with that being said, one of the biggest things and one of the biggest challenges that we have is discoverability, right? And Dan, you and I are always having conversations around that, right? Especially, you know, I know you're talking about local platforms, but here at Podcast Movement, there are other platforms too, right? And so what can we do or what can we, um, how can platforms evolve in order to improve discoverability um, outside of the continent and to, on the continent in order to, uh, to be more conscious around highlighting Africa? Yeah, and I think it's a complex thing. One, and Molly always says this, you have to have an Africa strategy. If you don't have one, then you, you know, there's a problem. You're missing out on a billion people, billion, that's a huge market for, um, to not be talking about. Um, my personal view is that what needs to happen is, needs to be more investment in local platforms. So AfriPods, Semabox, Africa Podfest, Podfest Cairo, that's what needs to happen because we are the ones that have granular data, granular knowledge of the market. We can lead the world towards what will work um, because we know it, because we work with it every single day. And the more that we are able to do that, the more we can maybe change the tide to what Molly was talking about earlier, where the global platforms don't have a strategy and don't have an, an alignment to what we are doing, um, but we can maybe build that alignment and then turn around and connect to what they are doing. So it's going to take money and investment um, on the local platforms. I think that's my view at least because um, for instance if you log into any um, of the main platforms you're not going to see an African creator on the front page and that's something that needs to change 
Because you, if you can't be discovered, and then you're, in, you're in, a, in a lot of trouble as a creator. And just to add on that, Dan, for everybody who's listening, either in person or online, if you don't have an Africa strategy, you do not have a growth strategy. And that's on everything, so. Yes. I just wanna, let me, let me ahead, add on that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the streaming platforms know this, right? Like, when I, I've had meetings, you know, with Spotify, Apple, several people, and they are trying to craft an Africa strategy. They're trying to craft an India strategy, you know, so be it, because podcasting has hit a wall when you think about listeners, right? Like, everyone that you can get to listen, the type of person you can get to listen in the U.S. has kind of hit a wall. There's only a few growth areas where pod, war listeners could come in. That's people of color here in the U.S., that's kids and family, and then that's other continents like Africa. So, yeah, you're right. That's the reason why you need that strategy for sure. Like, you need to be thinking, because this audience is already tapped. You know, the only way you're going to grow podcasted in general, let's just not even talk about an individual show. The only way this industry is going to grow is if more people start to create outside this continent. And I'm going to piggyback on that as well. If you want to craft an Africa strategy, you need Africans. Mm. And, you, and you need people on the ground, right? A lot of times, yeah, yeah. hit them with the snaps. <laughs> but a lot of times, you know, the, these things are happening you know what I mean, outside of Africa, or a story is being told, but it's being sent to another continent in order to be approved, in order to be told there. So a lot of times Africans are not, and I'm saying throughout the diaspora, we're not the ones telling our own stories, and that has to change as well. You know what I mean? We need to be a part of the development strategy and things like that for the things that affect us, right? right. If it's about me, it needs to include me. Yeah. Um, with that being said, I want to... I hope we got some questions, but I'm, I'm going to hit you guys with this. Can everyone please give us, nah, no, I'm going to go with this one. According to Africa Pod, PodFest, most African podcast listeners listen to content from abroad. What do you think we can do to raise the awareness and quality of local content to get the same kind of listenership as international podcasts? I mean, obviously, come back to the resources, right? You know, where are the finances to make sure that quality podcasts are being produced in one sense? I do believe that we can create good content with what we have. Mm -hmm. and, and I say that from experience. When I first arrived in Cairo, they put me in a classroom with a whiteboard. I'm like, where's the equipment? Like, where's the smart classroom stuff? So you, you can do uh, a lot with less. Uh, and just, I think, enabling communities to do that, like working with young people who are really agile to say, what do you have and what do you want to do? But let's focus on the story, for example. Uh, now, you know, we, have, we do have technology that puts us in touch with people across the world in seconds. How do we, you know, leverage that to our advantage as well? Okay, thank you. And so this is my last question for the panel before we go into Q&A. Can everyone please give us one tangible step that we as, a pod, we as a podcast movement can take to support, empower, and connect with the African podcast ecosystem? So I'll let each of you answer. But before you do, I have to say this one thing, is that one of the most important things for us to highlight before um, anyone answers this question is essentially that Africa does not need saving. Right, we have the creators, we just need to maximize the potential of the people there. And even myself as an American national, 
um, I have to be responsible and not only respect the space, but the people who were there creating and contributing to the space before I got there, right? With Josephine, with Africa Podfest, Dan, um, Kim, and all of these other creators. So I think that as everybody's looking to go into Africa, it's important to be responsible about the lens that you're approaching it in and make sure that you're including the people who are and have been contributing to it. Um, so I'll re-ask my question for you, sorry. Uh, can everyone please give us tangible steps that we can, as a podcast movement, uh, take to support, empower, and also connect with the African podcast ecosystem? You know, I, I think this kind of almost kind of goes to what I was saying earlier where, you know, I'm not in the continent, you know, and so I'm not going to create a bunch of African-based content without consulting or going through an entity that's already on the continent. So when we did uh, Achille and Me, which is the, the series that we're, we're talking about that based in Tanzania, I did it through Obongo, you know? I, I partner with them, like they, they are effectively my partner. I'm not going to Africa to position myself as a company that is African-based or either, you know, like or anything like that. Like I think it's important to be an advocate, be an ally to a lot of the people that's already on the ground creating content. I mean, this company, like I said, they get 10 million views a month, but yet no one talks about them here at all. And so like, they're like, that's a bigger conversation as long as it is, but how can, how can a channel that gets that much eyeballs and attention effectively be missing from the conversation over here? Um, and they're trying to figure it out. They're coming over here. I was just with them at Kid Screen. They're trying to figure out, like, how do we get people to pay attention to us? Like, we're killing it over here. Like, what's up? And so, yeah, like, being an ally to the people that's already on the ground. Okay. And I think I'm learning Kiswahili from Akili, the cartoon. Yeah. yeah, I'm learning. I'm literally learning Akili. I mean Swahili. Like I watch it every day. Like I'm five years old. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, I guess what I would say is two things. First, more is more. We need more visibility. We need more press. We need more money. We need more resources. We need more people speaking, yelling, talking about Africa, especially when we're not in the room. Right? We need people showing up for us, saying something's happening here, being curious, reaching out to people on the ground, and making sure um, that we're taking up space. And then, additionally, I would just kind of piggyback off that and just say that we all need to look to who was there before, step on the shoulders of the people around us, support each other, and build a true community. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I think also we can leverage existing industry um, norms that are in other industries that can come into specifically podcasting and storytelling. But the primary thing for us at Sandbox in this view is pay people. Get people paid <laughs> as soon as you can and get them as much as you can. I endorse that. My team is, we don't even have a budget for my podcast. All of my team is volunteer, and it shouldn't be like that, so finding the money. But, you know, I talked to Jared a little bit earlier from Podcast Movement, and he's like, Kim, you know, give us some feedback. What can we do? I'm like, we need to be keynoting at Podcast Movement. Like, facts. Make it happen. It's going to happen. Yeah, keynote at Podcast Movement. Love it. All right, well, now what we would like to do is open it up to the audience uh, for any questions that you may have. Um, we're more than happy to answer. Well, they're more than happy to answer. <laughs> so Tia, we're ready. Does anyone have any questions? Yes, ma'am. She's going to bring the mic to you. Hi, my name's Ann. I have a podcast called Who's Running the Show? It's fiction. Figure I got to do my plug. Uh, there's a lot of movies coming out of Nigeria. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm wondering, has there been any thoughts of collaboration between the film industry in Nigeria and podcasting? Because it seems like it's a natural transition. Dan, you want to take that? Or Molly? Yeah, I'm, I can speak to it. Um, first of all, the Nigerian film industry has been through a lot. And they've, been, they've worked through a lot of the kinks um, that are in the content space in general. Um, what I think the podcast industry can do is, that's what I was talking about earlier, we can learn a lot from the industries that are already built locally and learn a lot. So there's a, there's a lot of opportunity for that collaboration. I think it will be more process and operations, more than it will be the, the stories. But learning how to distribute, learning how to press your episodes, learning how to find your audience, that's definitely a great opportunity that you can take from Nollywood um, to podcasting. And to add to that, I have a friend named Adu. He actually just signed a um, agreement. I think it's going to be announced in the next two weeks, so I don't want to share too much. But I can talk to you offline about that, specifically in Nigeria, um, a partnership between content creator houses, and I think they're focusing on film. And I had spoken to him at the AFRICON conference in LA about what they might be doing in podcasting and storytelling. So we can talk later. And I would like to contribute to that because I think one of the, the other aspects, I was having this conversation the other day, one of the things about Nollywood is, is let's just say, you know what I mean, that it started in 1990, right? They're just now getting the nod, let's say this is 32 years later, in order to essentially get the recognition that they deserve for all of the hard work. So I think that it's the responsibility of us in here to make sure that you know, podcasting in Africa does not take as long to become a thing. And if there are collaborations that are available and we have the opportunities to collaborate with the Nollywood or with the, you know, other industries like Dan was saying, I think that that expedites the process of this becoming a staple and a true um, sustainable medium, both for the creators and for uh, listeners and media houses in Africa, on the continent of Africa, authentically. Any other questions? Got a gentleman in the back as well. Thank you. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Lloyd. Um, I'm curious if you have any thoughts, Dan, on the barrier to entry into podcasting, primarily from like a creator standpoint, how easy or not easy for people to actually start a podcast. Oh, so yeah, this one is the one you've been working on. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is exactly what Semabox is trying to fix. Um, one of the things that was the biggest issue we found was technology. People didn't have the right tools, didn't know how to do the work. So they didn't know how to record well, didn't know how to edit well, didn't know how to publish. So Semabox exists to solve that. Now you don't need to know any of that. You can show up at the studio, um, sit down in the chair, record your podcast, and we'll even help you distribute through Afripods, um, which is our preferred hosting partner. Um, and once that's the main barrier for entry, and then of course beyond that is money, right? So people need money to keep podcasting, uh, which is why we are working together as an industry to just keep creators consistent. If we can help you to just consistently produce, then we will trust you to build the audience and hopefully we'll get the money down the road. So one of the other things about that as well is, is that, um, you know, when we talk about community and the way that we're operating in order to build the industry in Kenya, like, we're from, I'm from Afropods, but we're at Simabox all the time collaborating and working to build educational materials and make sure that you, um, creators have access, you know what I mean, to the, to the resources that they need in order to continue to create um, authentic content. You got a question? Uh, yes, my name is Willie Holmes. I'm a theater playwright. And I'm converting over from main theater to audio fiction. So I was wondering, is there a demand for 
audio fiction from an African-American perspective on the continent? Repeat that one more time. You said fiction, right? Was yeah, audio, uh, audio fiction. Audio fiction. Well, audio plays from the African-American perspective. Is there a demand for that on the continent? Sure. So I'm going to say that we are still very much in early days here. I think that there's kind of, there's a demand across a plethora of different categories. Right now we're seeing a lot of conversational podcasts because they're the easiest to start podcasting in. However, investigative journalism has become very popular, especially localized content. I think when you talk about fiction, the conversation around audiobooks and podcasts and audio on demand and voice notes even being sent on WhatsApp, there's a lot that can be optimized and a lot that we still haven't yet explored. We're still waiting for the industry to kind of take shape and follow the lead of the creators. So I would say, give it a little bit of time, but yes, in my opinion, I think that's actually a really exciting avenue to explore in the entire podcasting industry. I hope that answers you a little bit. Yeah, I want to add that, you know, if you're making that content, then yeah, like I don't, no, nothing's stopping you from uploading it to Afropods either, right? So just start. I think, you know, if, if there's an audience, it'll probably find itself on there, you know, and I'm going to do that. You know, we have several, you know, uh, narrative-based, fiction-based podcasts. We already have African folk tales on there, but we have several narrative-based, fiction-based podcasts that'll be on the, the platform, and I'm eager to see how people respond to it, you know? And so it's, it, it, the only way is to experiment, put it out there, test it, and see what happens. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I have a narrative nonfiction podcast and I was waiting for someone else to do it. So it's just like, yeah, you got the idea, go for it. I just wanna make one more quick comment before the next question. I know Chris is in the house from Hindenburg. He is very committed to helping African pod podcasters. So I just wanna, you know, we, our allies are out there, uh, take advantage of him. He's got the, the editing software with Hindenburg and it's a really great tool. And if we get more people using that easy tool, they get more excited about it and they share that knowledge with others. Hello, my name is Anna Gogo, founder of Black Pod Collective. I'm not going to go through the whole list. You know who I am. Um, I want to ask this question more so because I think it's important to say here. In the States, there's already issues around taking black creatives seriously, um, actually investing in the work of black creatives. So I would love for you guys to talk about why should people care about content coming from Africa? This is not me saying that I don't know the answer to this, but this is me saying that I think we need to talk about that. Yeah, but you should give us a first answer. Just go ahead and, and give we, we us a first We love your perspective. Answer. Yeah. I mean, for me, I would say the listenership, because here in the States, we're all fighting for the same people to be listening to content. I think Edison Research came out with a percentage of black listeners. Well, for all, a lot of black creatives, we create content for black people. If it's only 8% of people who are listening to that, that's a little difficult. I always say to people, if you're a black creator and you're creating stuff for black people, why are we not going to where the largest amount of black people exist? And so that's from a black creative perspective. But when I look at brands wanting to partner, and right now it's a big push for black creatives or people of color or BIPOC, I don't know what they're calling us right now, but put it under the umbrella and that's what it is. That's the focus at this point. And I feel like we're moving away from black creatives over to Latina creatives, which is nothing wrong with that. But at the same token, Everybody's trying to figure out how to do that here in the States, when in actuality, if you're trying to get in front of black creatives, I mean, 
you guys are a testament to the fact that it exists. But like I said, I wanted you to tell us why. So first of all, I agree. I mean, we are out of time, <laughs> but I agree. And then the other thing that I'll add from a creative perspective, from my Dana Seda perspective creatively, all the freshest stories that are going to come in the world in the next 10, 15 years are going to come from Africa. If There's only so many times you can remake super, Superman, right? That you make it and make it, it's done. The next story world that's the most exciting is Wakanda. So superheroes that are going to be there. And Wakanda is just one of the stories that we can create um, in our space because it's all going to be fresh and new. So if you're trying to make a movie, trying to make a story, um, all the people in Hollywood, come to Nairobi. We have all the stories. <laughs> and just one last thing. Um, there's never been a more exciting time in my lifetime for the opportunity in Africa. And what I mean by that is you have to look at what's happening in the media. You have Beyonce doing Black is King. You have Year of the Return. You have Afrochella. You have Black Panther making over a billion dollars. You have Burna Boy selling at Madison Square Garden. I'm a piano to the world. Afrobeats. I mean, there is no better opportunity at this point than Africa. If you're looking for content, it has to come from Africa. There's Everyone is under 19 years old. And so to your point in what you're saying, there needs to be a shift into what's happening with black people. And fundamentally, um, I know we spoke about this earlier, I think black women, black American women, are the curators of culture. Whether it's period, whether it's the earrings, whether it's the nails, whether it's everything. And I think black women need to get more credit for that. Um, I think that the entire black experience is not seeing the value they create financially, and that's exploitation. Exploitation is not capturing the value you create. So making sure that African creators are getting paid the same as they're bringing stories to the forefront, whether they're in English, whether they're in other language, whether black people are in the States, in the diaspora, in Brazil, in the UK, I don't care where they are, black people need to get paid, black people need recognition, we need press, we need money, we need resources, and that's why building the ecosystem together is important. We cannot take a piece of the pie right now, we need the pie to get bigger. The podcasters win, Afropods wins. Afropods win, the podcasters win. Spotify comes to the market, they validate the market. Everybody needs more. We need more data, we need more research, and we need more people who are speaking about us in rooms we're not in. So please, after this conference, whether you're in person, whether you're on video, know that the opportunity is here. This is where growth is, and we're all more than happy to scream about this from the rooftops. So thank you. We could just drop the mic. Thank you. <laughs>